God has really blessed me. You know, he let me work in D.C., let me work with EIB and Hollywood and Silicon Valley. And he's shown me through all those experiences that there is one problem and one solution, and that's why we do this show. Welcome to A Disciple's View with Todd Herman. significant day, November 22nd, 2023. It's a special day. This is the day before Thanksgiving. And uh, let me just say from the get-go, we thank the Lord for each and every one of you. When we bow our heads around the dinner table tomorrow, I can assure you, AFR audience, that one of the things for which we are most grateful are for you, the listeners. May God bless you, each and every one. And I pray that you have a, a safe and joyous time of Thanksgiving before God tomorrow. But today is a very significant day, a very uh, significant historical day. And in the program, we're going to talk with a scholar, Eden Gordon Hill, in just a moment about the JFK assassination. Um, let me just say this. In all my travels, and by the way, Alex McFarland here, very honored to be sitting in this hour. Um, you know, for years, for years, I've heard people say in in the 2,200 plus churches where I've spoken, in 200 American universities, um, I've had people, you know, talking about the state of the culture. And they would say, November 22nd, 1963, something happened. It was like America lost our innocence. President John F. Kennedy was assassinated, uh, everyone knows, in the motorcade going through Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas. Um, I've walked that area thought about it. It's interesting. Dealey Plaza there in Dallas uh, in 1973 in a courtroom across the street, a courtroom that literally overlooks where JFK was shot, would be the decision rendered that would remove legal protection for from the unborn. The very famous Roe versus Wade uh, decision was right there in the Dallas courtroom. I had the incredible honor of speaking in that courtroom in January of 2022, actually the last pro-life uh, gathering ever in the Roe versus Wade courtroom. But uh, November 22nd, it was the same day that C.S. Lewis died. It was the same day that Aldous Huxley died. Three individuals representing three very different worldviews. C.S. Lewis, a devout Christian. Uh, Aldous Huxley, an evolutionist and atheist. And John F. Kennedy, um, a Catholic who... Um, it is said, sat in a car and prayed the sinner's prayer with Reverend Billy Graham. Um, but a Christian, if if indeed he was a born-again Christian, I hope he was from everything I hear, um, it sounds like he made a decision for Christ, but certainly his lifestyle was uh, not everything a devout Christian's life would be. But the gunfire rang out, and 60 years later, more than 1,500 books have been written about the JFK assassination clearly since that day 60 years ago. It it has been a different America. Well, to help us process some of this and to talk about it, and and also to talk about an article that hit the wire this morning, uh, uh, yet another theory about the JFK assassination, Eden Gordon Hill is a scholar and broadcaster. I had the privilege about a month ago of being on uh, her broadcast, the All-American Book Club, with Eden Gordon-Hill. But uh, she's a political expert. She's a scholar. She has researched much about the the JFK assassination and the years following. Um, Someone who's um, 
intellect and insights I really, really appreciate. And she's with us now, Eden Gordon-Hill. Welcome to the American Family Radio Network. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. And, and greetings and happy Thanksgiving to the American Family Radio Network. I'm so honored to be here with you on this 60th anniversary as we remember uh, the presidential legacy of President John F. Kennedy and also, you know, talk about the theories and the conspiracy theories behind the assassination that happened on this dark day. Uh, 60 years ago. I was sitting here reading Clint Hill's book on the five presidents talking about his accounts of the day. And um, and I know that we talked earlier about just all the different stories that we've heard over the years from Clint Hill to the CIA and to LBJ and to the mafia and all those different uh, conspiracy theories. But one thing I wanted to share with the audience was some of the aspects of what happened to Jacqueline Kennedy after the assassination and a most recent book interview I did on WMAL All-American Book Club talking about the public, private, and secret life of Jacqueline Kennedy and that night after the assassination and what she went through in that time period of just processing the assassination. And Alex, I have to tell you, in this most fascinating personal interview with the author, uh, J. Randy Borelli, he said to me, and the years of her passing away in 1994 of cancer, she mm-hmm. said, if I could just have four or six more years, I think I'd finally be over the processing of the passing of the president and seeing right. what she saw that day. And she really talked to the post-traumatic stress of what happened to her as she was retrieving her husband's skull, his brains on the back of that motorcade. So there's so much to dig into on the 60th anniversary. Well, indeed, indeed. And uh, did Jackie, and I don't know, I'm asking, was she ever on record as having stated her position about what she believed about the killing of her husband? Who did Jackie think did it? Sure. Sure. To my knowledge, on record, she only did a couple more interviews after the assassination of the president. And what I remember from my interview with Randy Turiborelli as he was talking about the public, private, and secret uh, um, aspect of Jacqueline Kennedy was that she she always had her own thoughts on what happened, but she always went forward and said, "They, I want them to see what they did to my husband with her pink Chanel uh, suit that she wore that's so famous yeah. now. But Incredibly also, tragic. In the, right. In the private interviews that she did, though, you know, in some of the writings, she never wanted to point fingers at at, you know, the incoming president. She wanted to be of support to the incoming president. But at the end of the day, a lot of her thoughts and theories are not uh, unveiled to the American public, and that will not happen for many more years. And and they are archived at this point. But Mm -hmm. I took away from some of her writings, and I took away from a lot of the history books that I've studied over the years of the Kennedy assassination and of Jacqueline Kennedy, that they, she wanted to know who killed her husband, and as the continued Kennedy assassinations happened within their family, her her fear was her children would be number one target. 
And mm. so as much as she wanted to look back to figure out who really did it to her husband, at the end of the day, she wanted to try and move forward to give them the most, her children the most normal life possible. But I will say, in all the studies and all the people that I've talked to in my 20-plus years in Washington, D.C., in the conservative media outlets and working for conservative leaders, I've always been very attracted to the Kennedy administration, the mystique, perhaps, and the sure. young aspect that they brought to our nation during that time of history. And I always look back and say, my question was, LBJ, it always seemed as though there was more to him that met the eye during that time period. And JFK was even quoted as saying before he went to Dallas, he did not feel good about going to Dallas. He did not want to go to Dallas. And he was very concerned about that trip. And even having an open motorcade was a huge concern to even the Secret Service. And Clint Hill most recently just did an interview on his um, book, Five Days in Dallas, talking about how he said he specifically you know, saw it as Lee Harvey Oswald. No conspiracy theories there. Lee mm-hmm. Harvey Oswald did that. And I sat there and thought, okay, perhaps he was the gunman. Perhaps he was the one, the token person to do this. But there is much more to it than just one lone gunman. And, you know, I want to throw that question to your audience and to you, all the conspiracy theories that we could get ourselves wrapped up into. But I always sit there and say, there's got, there's, I know that there's more to this than just what the media wants to, you know, tell us, present, you know, company excluded. And so I say, okay, LBJ, the mafia, uh, let's see, Castro, how many other people, you know, could have been behind this assassination of one of the youngest first Catholic presidents in the history of the United States? Yeah, and you know what a lot of people don't realize is there had been at least two previous attempts on JFK's life. A lot of people don't realize this. One, uh, of all things, I know this sounds outlandish, but it's true, folks. You can Google it. With dynamite, uh, there was uh, just this deviant person. Now, who he was uh, working for, I have no idea. But uh, there was an assassination attempt of JFK with dynamite. And then about a year before Texas, I was reading about this, um, uh, Ms. Hill, about... um, there was a, a an off-duty policeman that had a rifle aimed at President Kennedy, and when he was apprehended, he claimed he was using the scope as a telescope to see the president, although you have to say uh, certainly you could have found mm-hmm. binoculars or something. But um, it, it's, it's just interesting. Though I watched an interview, and I'd love your thoughts on this. In 1973, 10 years after JFK was assassinated, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's widow, uh, uh, mm-hmm. I think her name was like Mariana, she was interviewed on 60 Minutes and through a translator explained that she maintains that her husband would never have done this, that when it was in the news that uh, Jackie had had a miscarriage, that Oswald was emotional and he respected Kennedy as a family man. It, it was believed he was a, a devout family man. Uh, Ma- uh, Marina is her name. She said mm-hmm. Oswald would never have shot Kennedy. 
Um, the Warren Commission said he did. He acted alone. There's a news story today from a man named Paul Gregory that was um, actually interrogated by the FBI as as a known uh, associate, although he was really kind of a friend, but he claims he had been in the Oswald apartment with the family to have a meal many times. He thinks they did. The The question for you is, there, there seems to sure. be plausible theories on both sides. Will we ever... Mm-hmm. Are there people... I'll ask it this way, Eden. Are there people who really, truly know what happened, but the general public does not? Oh, I... I will absolutely say I believe so. I believe there are many people in the government that have now passed that knew exactly what happened. I look at all the history books. You know what, Alex? I'm going to be honest with your audience. I've been studying the Kennedy administration, the assassination, and and Jacqueline Kennedy announcement since I was 13 years old. I would sit with a book in my hand 24-7, studying the presidents and studying that administration specifically. And, you know, I always got the look, oh, what a nerd, why are you studying, you know, and I realized to this day, I look back, and I'm so, so grateful to my faith, and just my and my family never squashing my interest and my hopes of working in the political spectrum and being able to serve from that aspect. So I say that, I believe, with all of that history that I've studied over the years, I do believe, similar to post-9-11, similar to what happened in 9-11 and other aspects of our nation's history that changed the trajectory of our nation, I do believe people knew what actually happened. There are people I went to university with in Washington, D.C., whose family knew the uh, knew LBJ's family and knew the relationship there with LBJ and the Kennedys. And there was a definite difficult relationship there, especially with Bobby Kennedy when he was attorney general for the president of the United States. There was a very big discourse in their relationship. So I look back and say there was more there than what was really told. And you and I both know, even in today, the and how the media portrays things. I was watching CBS. I was watching PBS. I was watching News Nation. Everybody has their own angle on what actually happened on that day. But you and I both know, at the end of the day, there was something greater to this than Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, there yeah. was more to it than that. And uh, could so you hold that thought? Forgive me. Forgi- forgive me. Uh, we got to take a sure. brief break. Alex McFarland here on the American Family Radio Network. Our very special guest, writer, broadcaster Eden Gordon Hill on this 60th anniversary of JFK's assassination. We'll talk about the spiritual implications of this after this. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Thanksgiving is tomorrow, and I suspect that you are doing lots of things to get ready for this special day. Let me suggest you add one more item to your to-do list. Visit our website and download a copy of my Thanksgiving quiz. Thanksgiving is a wonderful time to gather as a family, but I also believe that it can be a great time to teach our children and grandchildren about America's godly heritage. I created this short quiz to be a conversation starter around the Thanksgiving table. 
You know, we used to go around the table before the meal and ask our children to tell us what they were thankful for. After a few years of hearing about how they were thankful for their cat, their doll, their video games, I knew we needed to do something else. The Thanksgiving quiz was born out of that frustration. It has 19 questions and answers on the Pilgrims and the Mayflower Compact, as well as some questions and answers about the Christian heritage of America. Who were the Pilgrims, and why did they leave Europe for America? Why did they celebrate Thanksgiving? What is the Mayflower Compact, and why is it significant? What lessons did the Pilgrims learn about work and even free enterprise? How did the Christian faith influence America? These are just a few of the sort of questions that you can ask around the table and give short answers. Perhaps it is time to recapture the importance of Thanksgiving. On the bicentennial celebration of the landing of the Pilgrims at Plymouth Rock, Daniel Webster declared the following. Let us not forget the religious character of our origin. Our fathers were brought hither by their high veneration for the Christian religion. They journeyed by its light and labored in its hope, and they sought to incorporate its principles with the elements of their society and diffuse its influence through all their institutions, civil, political, or literary. It is my hope that this quiz will help your family see the importance of Thanksgiving. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Go deeper on topics like you just heard by visiting pointofview.net. That's pointofview.net. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. All too often, caregivers judge themselves without mercy over their performance. With a supremely critical eye, we berate ourselves while also allowing others to do the same. If we choose to judge ourselves, however, let's at least be fair and judge ourselves on the whole. For example, our attendance record, which is nearly perfect. We keep showing up. Yeah, sometimes we show up late while often feeling battered and bruised. Sometimes we're swearing under our breath like Yosemite Sam did in the old Looney Tunes cartoon. But we still show up. What is that worth? It's certainly worth taking a moment to acknowledge the extraordinary commitment and resolve of caregivers. And that includes you. This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope, a ministry for the wounded and those who care for them. There's more information at standingwithhope.com. You know, even a cursory, superficial look at the United States of America over the last 50 to 60 years, uh, you can't help but see uh, the vivid contrast between what we were as a nation to what we have been since the 1960s. You know, people fondly speak of the Eisenhower years that, you know, uh, intact nuclear families were living in suburbs. Uh, Mom and dad and three kids, Billy Graham was on TV. It really was, as they would say, Camelot. But it all seemed to change, November 22nd, 1963. Alex McFarlane here, we're talking with uh, author and broadcaster Eden Gordon-Hill. And uh, the JFK, uh, the, the, the moving parts behind his tragic assassination, and then just equally surreal, days after it happened, the suspect in custody, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was assassinated by Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, Uh, claimed he was going to have a tell-all interview, then he died in the the 1970s. Um, Eden, uh, if you would, speak about, in your opinion, 
because you and I are both Christians, and we, we do our best to see reality through the lens of God's Word and spiritual discernment, doesn't it seem mm-hmm. like there just were, were so many spiritual ripple effects? And since the 60s, it's not been the America that we know was founded, the, the godly Judeo-Christian America. It's been basically spiritual warfare for, for six decades, and it seemed to all change that day in 1963, didn't it? Yes, I do agree with you. I wanted to also, from the spiritual perspective, so many things had happened that day. And just recently, I was talking about the spiritual attacks that we as the American family, our nation is coming under. And, it, you know, I look at tomorrow being Thanksgiving, tomorrow being the Macy's Day Parade, the parade that I grew up watching, could not wait to watch and see and, and be in New York City and and be around that energy and the excitement of a traditional family holiday. And now they are adding this this culture of um, dis, dis, you know despair and disgusting aspects of the drag queens performing mm. in the Macy's Day Parade, which is such a decline of our culture and lifting the good, the true, and the beautiful, and really focusing on what this country was founded on, our faith, our Judeo-Christian faith. And since that time period of the 60s, you had Vietnam, you had the, the hippie aspect of the 60s and the 70s, and then you saw so many other things uncover in that time period. Now, in current day, we are dealing with the wokeness and the indoctrination of all of these ideologies on our children and the education systems. And so it is a, a ripple effect that I, you know, I turn back to the church and say, hey, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Are we speaking up? Are we standing up against these this ill, this vile aspect that is overtaking our culture? What are we doing as, as people of faith? And one other thing I wanted to cite to the audience here in regards to the Kennedy assassination, I wanted to give you a couple pieces of data. RFK Jr., his nephew, who was running uh, on the independent ticket for the president of the United States, has asked Biden, President Biden, to release the last percentage of 3,500 documents that cite names that are being held at the CIA, that cite names, locations, and everything that happened in that time period on November 22, 1963. So I just wanted to put that out there. He is putting out a petition to ask people and to ask Biden, please release the rest of these documents. Because as we all know and our audience knows, his father was also too assassinated, and I'm sure there's an underlining piece there of a closure piece that he and the Kennedy family have been searching for all of these years from the assassination of both President Kennedy and the Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy. I mm-hmm. and I think from a faith perspective, we as people of faith, and especially Rose Kennedy and her Catholic faith and belief, really led the family t- closer to God. Can you say that? Yes, I can, because she really instilled that faith factor in her children and then and then the president's legacy and also what she did for the next generation of Kennedys and their faith, which I think a lot of people just overlook. They look at the assassinations and they look at the drugs and the issues that every family has, but at the end of the day, they did not focus on that faith piece and that faith component that she was 
so sure and so so secure in that she really wanted to lead her family in that faith aspect, which I think Jacqueline Kennedy also did, even though she struggled with her anxiety and PTS. And you see that now in other uh, Kennedy family members, especially with RFK Jr., wanting to be out the forefront and speaking out for his family, but also on his belief and what he wants to see for this next generation. You know, uh, Eden, uh, tomorrow, Thanksgiving, if you know the history of Thanksgiving, uh, anybody that looks at that could see that the pilgrims were devoutly Christian. The Mayflower Compact says that they came here for, quote, the the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Um, Mm -hmm. As a Christian, knowing that we were founded on godly principles and America has been the primary uh, engine driving the Great Commission, mm-hmm. benevolence spreading the gospel. It, it's it's not hard to realize that as a nation we would be uh, in the crosshairs of spiritual warfare. Of course, Satan would want to harm America because America was founded on godly principles. America has been fulfilling the Great Commission. So, um, w- is it fair to say that? JFK's assassination and the cultural and spiritual calamities of the last six decades, it's because we have been, and at least to a degree still are, a Christian nation. Yes, most definitely, most definitely. Even though when you look at the quarter today and how they have changed the quarter, and it's one nation under God, and you look at George Washington's face, It once faced one nation under God. It is now his back towards one nation under God. So I have to say, yes, yes, yes. I had a friend point that out to me a couple months ago, and then my godson, who absolutely studies this historical pieces of American, the American dollar and pennies and history of everything that has to do with that, he said to me, yes, they changed the outline of it, but if you look at it, his head is now against in God we trust, not facing it. And so as, wow. you know, as we head into the Thanksgiving holiday tomorrow, as we head into the Christmas season, somebody said to me the other day, and I really took it to heart, as we see the drag queens going down the parade route, which I do not endorse whatsoever, I endorse the moms who are fighting against it because they don't want mm. their young children watching it. But what we need to be fighting is the fact that the left and the progressive issues that they are really forcing into our culture, they are ripping away the traditional American holidays that are family-oriented and that have a faith, and that is a belief in the Lord, and that is a belief in God, and that is a belief in country. They are trying to remove that from the trajectory of our nation. They're trying to remove that from our families and what has been that faith value. And I believe, I look around and people do feel it. They are being affected by this oppressive behavior from the progressive left as they are trying to instill that into our homes, into our family units, into our kids, into our community. And so we, as as believers, we need to be in the public square. We need to be speaking out against it. We need to be on American Family Radio talking about it. We need to be educating our listeners and our audience. We need to be sounding the alarm in the churches. The churches need to rise up. The church leadership sure. need to engage. So, I, uh, I mean, I could... 
we could Listen, go on for, and on. I, I'm just very passionate. Sure. <laughs> for, forgive me. We're almost out of time right now. But um, you sure. lead a, a, a very interesting broadcast called uh, the Great American Book Club. Or the, or is it the All-American Book Club? Forgive me. The, the All-American Book Club. The All-American Book Club. Every Sunday, 1030 a.m., WMAL, live streaming app on your phones. Or if you're in the Washington DMV area, 105.9 on the uh, radio dial uh, every week. We are headed into the Christmas season, and Alex, you're going to be on with me in a couple weeks as we celebrate the birth of our Savior and as we talk about the Christmas holiday and all the traditions that go along with it. So love to have your audience come join me every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. WMAL, live streaming out. Eden Gordon-Hill, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your research and sharing that with us. Uh, Folks, this is the American Family Radio Network. Thanksgiving is upon us. And, you know, when I was working on some prep for today's show, I was praying about it, and I thought, I have got to get on Stephen McDowell. Stephen is the author of America's Providential History, and um, it's a great book, part of the Providence Foundation Publishing Um, And I had the privilege at an AFA function in the spring of this year at a dinner. I sat beside Stephen McDowell, and what a blessing to hear his wisdom and his knowledge of our nation's history, our nation's spiritual history. So on this Thanksgiving Eve, I wanted to converse with him a bit. Mr. Stephen McDowell, historian and author, welcome. Well, hello, Alex. Great to be with you today and be on the show. Well, thanks for making time to be with us. And um, uh, what will the McDowell family be doing tomorrow on Thanksgiving? Well, we are visiting one, my oldest son and his family, and we, of course, will be uh, doing what Thanksgiving's all about, giving thanks to God for the great blessings He's bestowed upon us and our our uh, nation, and. F- from the very beginning, for hundreds of years, God has poured out innumerable blessings upon the nation. He continues to do that today, and that it's incumbent upon us to give Him thanks and acknowledge Amen. Him as the Almighty. Amen. You, you know, uh, in the spring of this year, when you and I were at uh, one of the AFR, American Family Radio Functions, uh, you graciously gave me a copy of your book, which I've been reading on all year long, and I cherish. Uh, I've got a couple of questions, but uh, first of all, where may people find you online, Stephen? Uh, ProvidenceFoundation.com. ProvidenceFoundation, all run together.com. You can... There's lots of articles and materials. You can see our books and many other things uh, at ProvidenceFoundation.com. Is America still a providential nation, Stephen? Well, it's certainly providential. Providence just means God's superintending care over His creation. And so God watches over all of His creation, which includes nations, because Acts tells us he raises up nations and puts down nations. His plan is fulfilled here in this earth through operating among uh, people groups. So every nation in that sense (laughs) is a providential nation. Sure. uh, um, You know, as we point out in our book, you know, I, certainly America was founded as a Christian nation. Now, you, you, when you need to define what is meant by that. When I use that phrase, and our founders used the phrase, they called it a Christian nation, but it's a nation 
built upon biblical Christian principles. Every nation mm-hmm. is built upon a set of principles that are ultimately rooted in their faith, what they consider to be sovereign or ultimate. America was built upon biblical principles. It's easy to show. Just go read the original laws and constitutions, compacts, the words of the founders, the reasons they started the colleges and universities, and you see that it, it, that that's who they look to. And so, uh, are we still built upon those biblical principles? In many ways, yes. A lot of those principles are, are still in operation, but we've rejected a lot of those as well. So we're actually undergoing a shift in um, who we consider to be sovereign and ultimate. You know, kind of a fundamental question every people should be asking and nation should be asking and none are is, who is the source of law of your society? And that's fundamental because the source of the law of a society is the God of that society. And the source of our law used to be the Bible, and in many ways still it is, because many of those biblical ideas are still reflected in our laws, but we've also began to embrace a lot of non-biblical laws. We're kind of in a place where shifting, where, yes, we put our faith in God now, a lot of our faith is put in man, but in some ways uh, we still put our faith in God. So we are prov- providential. In many ways we still are Christian, but we've We've uh, becoming more and more secular, especially in recent generations. Um, what are the implications? And by the way, folks, Alex McFarland here, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Stephen McDowell of the Providence Foundation. I highly recommend his book, America's Providential History. Um, that it, Listen, I... Having been a fan of David Barton for 25 years, and I've had David Barton and Bill Federer and Jerry Newcomb and a lot of people that specialize in this type of research, I've had them at conferences and shows, and and yet I've learned so much from your book. I I highly recommend it, Uh, Stephen McDowell and Mark Belisle's America's Providential History. But um, let me ask you this. What do you think could be done— to get churches and and specifically pastors back on track to talk to their congregants about you know preserving our, our spiritual DNA because you know uh, Stephen when I talk to pastors that you know they almost like reprimand me for talking so much about preserving America I'm like well I know the job of the church is to preach the gospel. But if we're not a free nation, uh, we can't preach the gospel. Um, do, do you have still have hope that the church can be harnessed and engaged to point people to a godly patriotism? Well, certainly I have hope because I've seen in the 40-plus years I've been, <clears throat> been working toward these ends, many pastors, when they're... Uh, are presented with this deep truth, their eyes are open, they begin to recognize, hey, God is at work. This is part of my mission as a pastor is to teach all the Scripture says regarding uh, uh, life, and Scripture speaks to all of life. And so I've seen many prominent ones and others who begun to embrace their responsibilities, begin to teach their congregants all that the Scripture says about all things. Well, hold that thought if you would. We've got a brief break. We're going to come back with Stephen McDowell. I'm Dr. Matt Ayers, president of Wesley Biblical Seminary. Most Christians only know the Bible at a surface level. We believe it, but do we really know it? 
I want to invite you to join the Wesley Institute presented by Wesley Biblical Seminary. The Institute's a nine-month program that will give you an in-depth understanding of all 66 books of the Bible taught by seminary professors. You can join live from anywhere in the world or watch the class videos on your own schedule. To learn more, visit wbs.edu. That's wbs.edu. Spreading the love and message of Jesus just got easier. The Christmas Bundle helps break the ice and open the door to share the gospel. It contains a Christmas shirt, three Christmas button or wristband 10-packs, eight ounces of Noel coffee, the Advent Alphabet book, a Hope of All the Earth CD, and a 10-pack of Isaiah 9-6 stickers, all at a very special price. Get your Christmas Bundle today at resources.afa.net. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. The fastest growing crime in America and across the world is sex trafficking. We're talking about millions of lives, even children. Did you know that the average age of a child who's trafficked in America is 12 years old? Well, 8 Days of Hope is decided to be a part of the solution. Do you know it's amazing to think that there's 13,000 animal shelters in our country, and that's a good thing, but there's less than 1,000 safe places for people who've been rescued from sex trafficking to go to get the help they need. I know it's not a fun subject to talk about, but God has called the church to take its blinders off and help end this human tragedy. This year, 8 Days of Hope is partnering with Safe Harbor, a ministry in Ohio. We'll be building a $6.5 million campus over the next six months. When completed, this campus will be the largest facility in the Northeast to be able to provide the emotional, physical, and spiritual help these children need. For more information how you can get involved, email us at safehouse at 8daysofhope.com or go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. I knew one mom and she was always criticizing her son-in-law, her daughter's husband. This is Focus on the Family Minute with Dr. Mike Bechtel. And they would get in these discussions and she would always say, well, why does he do it this way? And, <laughs> and why can't he be like this? And it would really upset the daughter. And finally, her daughter just set up a boundary, said, you know what, mom? I love him and this is who I'm married to. And this is between him and me. And we're just not going to have this conversation. And the mom said, well, don't be foolish. It's, I'm just asking questions. And she said, well, that's fine. I appreciate your questions, but we're not going to talk about this. Mm. And then she said, well, then maybe I just won't talk to you anymore about things. I won't call you. And she said, well, I'll miss our conversations, but we're not going to have this conversation. She made a very simple statement and just repeated it. Didn't explain it, didn't go on. So to build something that says this isn't going to happen here. More from Mike Bechtel at FamilyMinute.org. Welcome back to the program. Alex McFarland here. You know, it's not too early to talk about the summer of 24. And while we're talking about restoring our godly foundations, just uh, one of the great joys of my life every year is to be uh, interacting with thousands of teenagers. We do a summer camp, Biblical Worldview Camp. And the website for the camps we do, Tim Wildman has given me permission to promote this, but equipretreat.org, equipretreat.org for 20 25 years I've led summer camps, and not just the gospel, although, of course, that is primary, winning kids to Christ. But we talk about America. We talk about uh, America, and we, I'll, I'll put it this way, we, at our summer camps, we've got six, maybe seven next year. We'll be in Montana. We'll be in Georgia. Uh, we'll be in New Jersey. 
uh, and very affordable, very, very affordable. Um, a lot of summer camps that I would say really theologically aren't as substantive as, as what I and my staff do are thousands of dollars. Our camps are just under $400. That's a turnkey price. And we are trying to woke-proof America's youth. But anyway, we'll talk more about that, equipretreat.org. And somebody who really shares my heart on this, I believe, is Stephen McDowell. He's the author of America's Providential History. Uh, Stephen, before the break, we were talking about the power of the church because, you know, they estimate there are 350 to 450,000 pastors, 80 to 100 million Christians. Um, I, I, I've just got to believe if, if we spoke with a unified voice, it, it really could make a difference to call our nation back to our godly biblical foundations. Um, to what degree do you even believe this is possible, Stephen? Well, as I was saying, there is. I've seen a lot of positive things. A lot of pastors have awakened to uh, to their responsibilities. That the gospel not only changes individuals, it changes the nation and culture. So there are many who have awakened, but unfortunately, it's still a small minority. As you know, Barna did a study a few years ago, and ninety percent of evangelical pastors said they believe the Bible speak to all, speaks to all of life, but only 10% of those uh, ever teach uh, the totality of what Scripture speaks. So there's a, a problem there. And I think that, you know, if you mentioned there's tens of millions of born-again believers in America. If all of them would just act uh, in accordance with what an ambassador for Christ is, we could have a tremendous turnaround right away. But a lot of them don't act because they don't think right. They don't have a proper worldview. That's why, you know, those classes you were mentioning, those trainings that you do are so important, because for us to act in accordance with how God wants, we need to know what He wants. And so we need to teach the depths of the Scripture and how it not only it, it, we're born again to be just enter the kingdom of God, but that's not the end of our life. Just to be, become a regenerated believer, we're called to be an ambassador for Christ and to exert the crown rights of King Jesus in every sphere of life. And so we need to understand what that is, our responsibilities, God's will, uh, how we go to to build our families, our businesses, our nation based upon that biblical truth. And unfortunately, the church has neglected its responsibility and training and total worldview in recent generations, so we haven't known what we're supposed to do, and so the ungodly have had the ability to come into a vacuum, really, and to to direct the nation, a nation that was birthed by biblical men and women. So for the first many centuries, we were flying in the right direction, you might say, but the church, the, the church abandoned the pilot seat, turned it over to the unbeliever. They've been flying the plane in the wrong direction. Now, the good news is in just recent decades that a lot, a lot of people are waking up and asking the question, you know, who's flying this plane and what direction are we <laughs> going? And yeah. begin to kind of fight, fight to take over the who's going to fly the plane. And we need to continue to do that because the not just the future of our nation, but I think 
the future of the advance of the gospel in the earth is is associated with what goes on within the United States today in history. Sure. Uh, let's talk about Thanksgiving a little bit. Um, what are some What are some things about the the Christian DNA of the first Thanksgiving that that maybe a lot of people are not aware of? Well, of course, we associate Thanksgiving with the pilgrims, and we should. Now, Thanksgiving became an official holiday when Lincoln was president. He declared in right. 1963, he declared this is going to be an official annual holiday. But we've been celebrating days of Thanksgiving since from the very beginning. The first one really was observed in Berkeley, Virginia in 1619. Of course, the pilgrims didn't come till the next year in 1620. But uh, the pilgrims, you know, throughout this colonial period, the pilgrims, the Puritans, the settlers of every colony observed days of prayer and thanksgiving. Uh, it, It wasn't just the pilgrims who did it once or twice. Everybody did. In fact, there's a gentleman in 1895 wrote a book, The Lost Love, on Thanksgiving days in New England, and he went and compiled every record of an official Thanksgiving declaration by churches, but also by civil governments. And he records from 1620 to 1813 at least 1,400 days when civil governments on the state, later the national level, declared official days of prayer and thanksgiving or prayer and fasting. So it was an integral part of everything the colonists were doing. In fact, a lot of that tradition they even carried from Christian Europe with them, because Europe, the European Christian nations, especially as Protestant nations observed days of prayer and fasting, like at the defeat of the Spanish Armada in 1588, Queen Elizabeth declared mm-hmm. a day of prayer and fasting and went to church. They gave thanks to God, but this came with them, and that so every year they would proclaim a day. We want to give thanks to God. He's blessed us. He's watched over our lives. We have liberties and freedoms like no other people. And so they wanted to uh, let him know that. So I'm just curious. Do, do you recall the name of that book or the the author? The, boy, I would love to track down a copy of that. Yeah, it's The Lost Love. It's, the Lost uh, Love. D-E-L-O-S-S-L-O-V-E. We, uh, I think it's in the, the, the bibliography in America's Providential History. You can, you okay. can find it there. Uh, it was published in 1895. But, yeah, it's a magnificent uh, record. He, of course, lists all the days, but then he goes in and talks about the history. In fact, we have uh, on our website, ProvidenceFoundation.com, we have an article on Thanksgiving and fast days in early America, and give a little of the summary of what Love found in, in his book, because uh, it shows that, that, you know, Thanksgiving is a unique holiday to the United States. Mm-hmm. Other nations don't have a holiday like that. In fact, all of our holidays really are holy days. That's where the holiday yeah. came from, a holy day. And Thanksgiving is one of those holy days. And unfortunately, most Americans tomorrow uh, will not 
give thanks to Almighty God. Now, they'll, many of them give thanks. They're thankful for family and for food and freedoms, and that's good. We need to be thankful, but we need to recognize, hey, we're giving thanks to the Creator who watches over us and made those blessings possible. That's who we need to thank primarily, firstly, and then we can thank those who have a meaningful impact in our life as, as well. So Thanksgiving is unique to America, and rightly so, we should look back to the pilgrims for uh, the tradition of giving thanks, because they certainly upheld that uh, uh, annually uh, to to acknowledge God's blessing upon their lives and bringing them through many difficulties to the new nation of America so that they, in their vision, their their heart, their desire was to really plant a new nation. They wanted to be the, the seed that would give birth to a nation like the world had not seen. And they and the Puritans and so many others that came, it was fulfilled. In the birth of America, yeah. there was something unique in the history of mankind. There had been no nation like it, and that's because it was built upon biblical principles. And they and when you follow God and obey Him, great blessing comes, great flourishing comes, and that's what happened here. And that's only because of the good seed that was uh, started, planted America. You know, I um, was reading Jonathan Edwards, one of the early presidents of Princeton University, famously the clergy behind the First Great Awakening, and. Uh, Edwards talked about Christians that transported here and God planted, quote, a noble vine. And people like John Winthrop, the Puritan in 1630, said, we are a city on a hill. So, uh, Stephen, I I guess I would ask you, um, was America blessed because godly people were doing their best to follow godly principles? Or was America blessed, prosperous, technological achievements, stability, safety, um, because we really are in a covenant with God and the um, blessings and the favor and the protection of God could be, you know, re-energized or uh, more visibly present? Uh, Is it just that if you live godly, it will yield benefits, or is there an overarching providential plan for America that we would do well to rediscover? Well, I would say both. Uh, you know, anybody, even a non-believer, if they live in accordance with with God's truth, it will have a positive effect upon them. You know, don't live in debt. It's going to help you materially, you know, uh, um, and, and other things. But more importantly, the founders of America made a covenant with God. You know, the Mayflower Compact states it. it says we, they covenanted together to form a civil body politic. So the founders of America covenanted together under God to form a new civil society. Now, that's that language, which was used over and over and over. You can read most of the Constitution's compacts and charters. There were over 120 of them written in colonial times. And you're going to see that covenant language. That was unique to America, that our civil documents and the civil foundation of America was built upon the biblical idea of covenant. And these people, the 
pilgrims and the Puritans and many others, they said, we want to covenant together under God to form a civil society. And that way, it's, it, that was different than the covenant God made with Israel in the Old Testament. God himself initiated that covenant, said, I'm making a covenant with you guys. The founders of America said, Lord, we want to make a covenant with you. And so it's that covenant that they made that God had honored for centuries, and that but but it was, I believe, part of God's plan and purpose to initiate this covenant, because in that he's fulfilling his plan and purpose of the advance of his gospel and the kingdom in history. So God had a plan. God uses people to fulfill his plan. God puts it in the heart of people to even want to do his plan. And, and the founders of America were part of that, that they willingly embraced that desire and plan that God put in their heart. We want to form a new civil society. And that is the primary reason that America has become the most free, prosperous, virtuous, and just nation in history. Not perfect. We've had problems, but God uses imperfect men to advance his purposes. But that is the reason America became the most free and prosperous nation. And we still are today, even in our backslidden mm-hmm. condition, in many ways rejecting God. There's still no nation like the United States. That's why millions of people are flocking here uh, every year and more would come if, if they could, uh, because they recognize something special about the United States. I have the opportunity to travel mm-hmm. to many nations. I've traveled over 40 nations teaching biblical worldview principles. And, and people around the world, they recognize more of the uniqueness of America than most Americans do. They oh, that's true. There is something different, yeah, something special about this nation. And and uh, and lots of them know, hey, it's God did that. It's that covenant these people made with God. Sure. You know, in the back of your book, and folks, we're talking with Stephen McDowell, author of America's Providential History. Uh, you've got seven principles of liberty and then a checklist for reforming America, really a personal checklist, and then church and the government. Um, th- this is practical stuff. Uh, Stephen, where can people find you online and uh, order this book and listeners a book, which I would highly recommend, but where can they find it, Stephen? It's ProvidenceFoundation.com. You can uh, go to our website. We have our books and materials there. You can order there, ProvidenceFoundation.com. And how should we pray tomorrow around, we've only got a few seconds, but what, what prayer would you like for people to pray on behalf of our nation? Well, very first thing, we need to just give thanks to God for His blessing upon our nation and and upon, of course, our lives and our families as well. So thank we're you, almost God, out of time. innumerable blessings. God bless you, Stephen. Thank you. Folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for AFA. May God bless each of you, and may God bless America. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.